It's witchcraft. It's 4.20 a.m. somewhere, the best time for these two witches to get high on some straight fire and tell each other true-ish tales of ghostly hauntings, ghastly true crime, and ghouls that go bump in the night. Welcome to episode 51 of the Stoned Witches Hour. Representing the stickiest weed and the spookiest of spirits, I'm Layla. And representing the ghosty, ghosty, ghost coast, the East Coast. Wait, who am I? Oh, wait, Shell. I'm Shell. Here we are, ghosts. Hi. <laughs> Speaking of smoking fire, Shell over there is toking on some super sticky stuff. Obviously, she forgot who she was. Right? See, the problem is, is that when you start mixing stuff in your grinder and then you forget and then you're like, what am I even smoking at this point? So it's like some kind of salady goodness. Uh, you do love your salads. That's true. You like to mix up little bits of everything and get super potent weed that way. Nothing wrong with a surprise. So all I can say is it's high THC and it's good and it's delicious. Fabulous. My sweet husband has gotten us something to smoke for the weekend. We got some gelato mints and LA Ooh. cake. LA cake. LA cake. Ooh. LA cake. LA You're cake. Too, are you even too high to say that? Yes. <laughs> and the bud tender recommended the LA cake and said that it was a hybrid of LA confidential and wedding cake, mm-hmm. both of which I love. And to be honest, I wish I had just gotten more of the gelato mints. I got to say, whatever this mixture is that I've concocted, it's, I mean, I don't want to say a downer. It's not a downer, but like I could just like lay down, maybe cozy up, get some snooze. I don't know if I would melt into the couch, but this is sleepy weed. Oh, you've definitely got like the sleepy thing going on. Yeah, th- this is this is not high energy weed. This is definitely sleepy weed. Still good, still high. One of the things we've talked about before on this podcast are terpenes, the different types of terpenes that are in weed. And we've mentioned that we both really like the lemon flavored weeds. That, the, have that like, citrusy, lemony, yeah. Yeah. And that terpene is limonene. And that one gives you kind of like an up buzzy high typically. So if you have a lemon smelling weed, usually has high limonene terpene content. But it sounds like you probably have something that has more of one of the terpenes called terpinoline. Terpinoline is a very sleepy, sleepy terpene. This is the one that you want to get one of those fleece blankies in your pillow and just be like, oh, I could lay there. <laughs> it's not as common as some of the other ones, like the the easy to smell uh, limonene, but that makes you very, very sleepy. You know, it is sleepy weed, but it, it's also a little bit munchy before you go snoozy weed. So I got some French bread pizza cooking that oh, I'm nice. going to eat. Because, yes, it makes you sleepy, but it, I feel like this gives you a little bit more of the munchies than usual. Well, you know, hey, if you have a low appetite, that's a good one. Kind of makes you hungry and tired. There you go. So I've got some upbeat, yummy gelato mints, and I'm doing pretty good and pretty chatty. And you're over there sleepy. I'm going to have to tell you a super scary story and keep I you know, awake right? tonight, Shell. <laughs> Ooh, what's the spooky story you speak of? <laughs> tonight, I have a very scary story of the first known spirit possession in the United States. No way. Way. So you're going to need mid-1800s. 
Oh, ooh, I'm intrigued. I can't wait. Yeah, so you're going to need your little pizza snack and your weed and maybe a blankie or two. Grab a teddy bear, curl up under a nightlight. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to need my pentacle for this one. Jeez. Right? <laughs> so how about you? Where are you taking us this evening? Um, actually, Vermont. I have been looking into... Vermont? The- nope, there's no hauntings in Vermont. Vermont is just fun and maple syrup and apple cider and skiing, <laughs> right? There's There's no ghosts in Vermont. Spirits, apparitions, you know. Well, (laughs) (laughs) maybe at like one of those old water wheels or something. I imagine those could be haunted in Vermont. But other than that. And then, you know, if you really want to get me going, don't even get me started on the Sasquatch sightings in Vermont. But we're sticking to the ghosts tonight. Really? There's a lot of uh, Bigfoot in Vermont, huh? Um, Yeah, actually, there is. Remember, the top of Vermont borders Canada. Good point. Very good point. I guess so. And that's probably all that lives in Canada. Pretty much. You know, all I saw were hockey players, Sasquatches. Yeah, hockey players and Sasquatch. (laughs) And they all put up uh, Pennsylvania Dutch signs, apparently. So for our listeners in Canada, what team are you on? Are you team hex sign, team Sasquatch, or team hockey? But yeah, so... I am going to talk about the New England paranormal investigators going on this ghosty trip to to Vermont. So that's what we're doing. All right. Well, that sounds pretty cool. So did you do anything for the full moon show? I know we just had the full moon recently on the 6th. I went outside and did a little howling at the moon and put some candles out there. You know, there was something about this moon. Let me tell you, it was creepy, creepy, creepy. Really? So- what was so creepy about it? Okay, so the full moon was what? Friday night? Friday at 6.08. Much to my despair, Uh I had to wake up on Saturday morning, my day off, and take my sweet darling to work. I'm usually not a fan of that. And I had to, I would say we left the house around 6.30 a.m., Whoa, not got up at 6.30 a.m., but actually left the house at 6.30 a.m.? That is like the ass crack of dawn. I'm pretty sure it's illegal to leave your house that early in the morning. Oh, my good giddy aunt. No, we heard about you leaving for work at 4.30 in the morning, and I we have several of our listeners crying about Michelle's mishap. Lots of sympathy and lots of tears. There is a contingent that says it's her own fault. She should have gotten up and smoked that weed at 4.20 a.m. (laughs) (laughs) So you were out of the house at some ungodly time of the morning. But that's also about the time that the sun was rising. Oh, that's kind of nice. You only catch a sunrise under duress. This is not the time. (laughs) I've even said that. I even said that. I shouldn't be awake at this time of day. So... I drive about 20 minutes away and drop him off and I'm headed back. So it's like starting to get kind of light, but it's still like a smidgen dark. And that moon was like this weird pink and just like glowing like it was the damn sun. But it was like this silvery, weird kind of daylight. Like it was weird and eerie. I love when the moon is like that and you go outside and everything seems almost as bright as day because that full moon is so, so bright. I love that. It's so magical. I just, I can go outside and just take a couple deep breaths and just feel so connected and so soothed, I guess. It's just a nice moment. 
I put my tarot cards and some stones out there and I have been doing some journaling and I was doing that on the full moon as well. Oh, I love that. Journaling is such a magical practice. I'm trying to do that also this year, have a very scrapbooky journal. I'm, I'm pretty good at having like the jot journals where I like jot notes down and lists I think I, I want to do or plans for the future, just little things like that. It really helps me keep my ADHD a little bit more organized than normal. But this year I'm trying to do a little bit more of an intentional journal, an intentional magical journal, and actually have it be a little bit more scrapbooky and cool. Just for, Ooh. you know, something to do. We'll have to talk about that more at a later date. We will. We also need to talk about your spell jars because I have a fabulous recycling idea that I'm starting to do. And Ooh. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So I have these jars. You know how I like to complain about packaging. Right, right, right. Well, they're in my travels. I have been to a couple, uh, particularly in New York. They like to package their eighths in these small glass jars, either with like a wooden cork type lid or with a screw on plastic lid. And they're not right. that big. I mean, they're bigger than your typical spell jars, but they're not too big. And I have a ton of them. Some places will take them back to recycle, but otherwise you have to take them to like a landfill and recycle them. So here's what I'm thinking. I want to make weed witch spell jars out of these Ooh. former weed jars. You Ooh. know, put some crystals and spell parchment in there, some different things like that. And I just think they're kind of a nice size for a hefty spell. I don't know, something big, something interesting, something pretty. I think they're kind of cool. Can put some stones in there, some parchment in there. Yeah, some herbs. Like, you know, those those super, super mini tarots. Yes. Tarot card in there. Mm-hmm. You know, do a spell with a candle and put the burnt wax in there for the spell. There's all sorts of things that we can do since it's a little bit larger. And so I think that might be a great way to recycle these one-eighth glass jars. I like them a lot better than the ones that are wrapped in plastic and cardboard and all that crap. But I still wasn't sure what to do with them. And I had this great idea the other day, kind of modeled after your smaller spell jars. These are just a little bigger, and I think they would look really cool. So I'll let you know how it works out. I think you should give it a go because I am all for the spell jar idea. I love it. So much fun. You can also, um, well, depending on who your friends and family are, give uh, spell jars as gifts. So I love that idea. Well, we are getting to the time of the year of where, we're, where you're going to be planting seeds, planting the seeds to sow. So we're getting to that time of year where you might want different spell jars based on what seeds you want to sow kind of thought process. And I can see... Along with my very intentional scrapbooky journal, I can also see doing one spell jar under every full moon for a whole year. And then I would have one jar for each astrological correspondence for each of the 13 moons of the year. And I think that would be really cool to have those. I can look back and magically see what I did each month kind of thing. But, you know, it would be very pretty to have on an altar. You know, what also would be just as beautiful, not to sound all grim, but then ritually quote unquote ritually sacrificing all 12 of them at Samhain you know especially the ones that are glass and wood if I did all of them in glass and wood that's something that could be you know take all um, all of them that I have made up into that point and and sacrifice them in the bonfire at Samhain that's a fabulous idea right Right. You know, depending on the type of magic that's done, some might need to be kept, some should be buried, and maybe some should be put into the bonfire. I can see different situations where that type of thing would be really useful. I love that idea. 
just a, just another thought on how to put your intentions out there. But we're going to get a little more witchy on our next podcast about full moons, new moons, talking about new witchy possibilities, things coming up for these stoned witches. So you'll have to stay tuned and see if we have any super magical announcements coming up in the near future. But as always, make sure to like, subscribe, put up a review for us. Thank you guys so much. We always get a kick out of them. And if you want to make two witchy ladies happy, give us a review. We're like on cloud fucking nine for the next week every time we get one. So thank you all so much. Keep them coming. You know, put up some stars. Let your friends know that you like us. And for all of our listeners, this bowl's for you. Oh, fuck yeah. I'm going to pack some more of this gelato. You know I love me a good gelato. And uh, You do. And you find I them after do. there. I do. They've been really popular lately. And fuck, am I happy about that? Because I really do. I, I haven't Okay, that's not true. I have been burned a little bit on a gelato, but most of the time, if I get a gelato anything, it's really, really good. You just have really good luck with weed is the problem. You really do. I do. It Better do. luck than anyone. Let me tell you, the weed I've been smoking has made this French bread pizza the most <laughs> delicious thing I've eaten ever. <laughs> All right. Well, you're over there really high and munching out on your French bread pizza. I'm going to tell you a story. Ooh. Okay. What you get? I'm intrigued. So what was the year again? Remind me the year you said. Well, we're going to start in 1847 and we're going to pretty much stay in the mid 1800s. Okay. And we're going to go to Illinois, a little town called Watsika, Illinois. And this is called the Watsika Wonder, which is the name of the book that the doctor who witnessed this whole event, he dubbed the whole series of events the Watsika Wonder. So I'll leave you to see if if it actually is wondrous or not, or just kind of fucking scary. Really, really scary. Okay. Okay. So in Watsika, Illinois, was a small family. And in 1847, they had a baby girl named Mary. Unfortunately, Mary, as a baby, started to have um, what they called a cataleptic fit. And she continued to have these fits as she grew older. What is that? It's like an epileptic fit, some type of fit where, I, I don't know if that's exactly what it is, but the way it was described is she would basically convulse and her eyes would kind of roll back in her head. Okay. And she wouldn't exactly be there. But she would have these fits. And then when she got a little bit older, sometimes she would speak during these fits. And she would speak of people that had been deceased and she would seem to know details of them. Oh. She would say that during these fits that she would be able to talk to angels and that she had gone to heaven and she could speak to people that were in heaven. Oh. She even, now I'm not sure how this came about, but she was known to be able to read books while blindfolded. And she exhibited quite a few clairvoyant and spiritualist type tendencies. Again, she... She would have these trances and she would speak as if she was someone else and no details of their life that she could not have known. So they were able to corroborate what she was saying? Yes. Oh, wow. However, these fits and trances would get worse and worse. Some of them to the point where she was having hours long shaking fits where it took five grown men to be able to hold her down and prevent her from hurting herself. Oh, wow. She started to hear voices and she began speaking in an, in other languages that she had no way oh. of knowing. The parents took their daughter to many, many doctors trying to find a cure for her because, again, 
although she would have these spiritualist trances and be able to speak to what she called angels and people from the other side sometimes, most of the time they were just these violent fits that they were very afraid were going to kill their daughter. So they took her to quite a few different doctors and one bright doctor prescribed what was called at the time a water cure. And she was sent away for this water treatment for about 18 months. Have you ever heard of this, Shell? No, that sounds kind of creepy. It is kind of creepy. And it's one of the reasons why I fucking hate asylums at this time. Because they did all sorts of terrible, terrible things to people. And one of them was this water cure. Basically, someone decided that... In my mind, I'm picturing waterboarding. Yeah, it pretty much was. Different forms of that. They decided that cold water in particular could shock a person out of being crazy or having some type of mental disorder. So they would regularly do things like make people submerge themselves in ice baths. Some of them where they were completely enclosed up to their neck in very, very cold water. And then, like you said, water torture. They'd have water drained down on their head, cold, cold water. And then they'd be taken out of these baths wrapped in wet sheets and towels, basically like mummified and then made to lay in a bed for hours in cold, wet sheets. Ah. They would do other things where they would put people in what looks like a fancy, you ever see those showers nowadays that are like the rainfall showers that have like spigots on the sides and the Yes, I love those. Yeah, I love those too, but I've seen the ones they use in asylums and those fuckers are spooky and they would put those jets on really, really high and then they would have someone, it almost looks like someone from a fun house They'd put this person naked in a box and have ice cold jets of water spray on them from every direction. And then a nurse or a doctor outside would have what looks like a water cannon that they then spray at the person. And they would make people just stand there and suffer this for hours. Oh, wow. That's horrible. This poor kid, Mary, at about the age of 13, went to Peoria for 18 months of water treatment. When she came back, her fits not only hadn't gotten any better, they were much, much worse. And she had very angry, violent fits. And the parents eventually agreed to put her into an asylum. That's shitty. Uh, She died there a few months later at the age of 19. And that's the thing, you know, back then in that particular time period, and the same with asylums, like some of the torture that they did all in the name of quote unquote mental health. Yeah. I mean, I, I it, it's, it's not, it's not. It really is. And it's, it's frightening. She passed away in this asylum in 1865. Again, she was about 18 or 19. Her father, Asa Roth became um, very interested in spiritualism at the time. Well, remember that's about the time where spiritualism was starting to ramp up in America and was, was becoming popular. Exactly. About 10 years later, he had convinced himself that his daughter Mary had not been crazy, but had in fact been a very gifted and misunderstood spirit medium. Whoops. Right. And so he had immense guilt over following the doctor's orders at the time, as he should. They prescribed horrible things. (laughs) Now, Mary Roth's story is not over. In 1877, another young Illinois, uh, another young woman in this town in Illinois named Laurency Venom, very young teenager, about 13, also began to have seizures very similar to the type of fits that Mary Roth had had. 
these seizures would cause Lorenzi to lose consciousness for hours or days at a time. In these trances, she, much like Mary Roth, could communicate with the spirit world. Her parents also were trying to find a cure and sent her to multiple doctors. And they said, well, you know, send her to an asylum. But thankfully, they didn't suggest a water cure of any kind, but they definitely said send her to an asylum. Yeah, assholes. Thankfully for Lorency, they also lived in Watsika. And Asa Roth was familiar with what was going on with Lorency Venom. So before they could send Lorency away, Asa decided to visit them along with a doctor, E. Winchester Stevens, also called E.W. Stevens. Uh, they visited the Venom house and told them that Asa's daughter, too, had had similar types of problems and that they wanted to see if they could help Lorency in any way. So they visited with this family and they met with Lorency the next day. And she was in a trance state at that moment and was saying that she could see dead people and she was able to speak with the spirits around her. She also would often tell her parents that she could speak to a brother and sister that had passed away before she had been born. And one of the reasons that her parents, you know, allowed Asa Roth to come in was because they knew that their daughter had had information about her brother and sister that had passed away that she should not have known. The siblings in spirit told Lorency things that had happened to them when they were alive that had happened before Lorency was even born. So they, they were kind of ready to talk to Asa about this whole spiritualist thing. Asa and E.W. Stevens uh, went to the Venom family, and when they walked in, they saw that Lorency was kind of sitting hunched over, and, and her whole demeanor looked as if she was a very, very old woman. And so they asked her who she was and what her name was. And she said, I'm Katrina Hogan. And even her voice sounded old and raspy. Oh. They asked her to tell them about her, and she said that she was a 63-year-old woman from Germany. Then, abruptly, Lorency's whole demeanor changed, and she kind of sat back. She was, you know, sitting up. She was looking much more confident, and they asked her who she was, and she said her name was Willie Canning, and that he was a young 20-something man. And he immediately changed tactics and started asking them questions, like who they were. Did they like to drink? Did they like to smoke? What was their favorite drink? She spoke as Willie Canning for about an hour and a half and then fell back into a trance. That's so weird. Over the course of several meetings with Lorency, they were able to ascertain that she was able to speak to quite a few different personalities and different spirits from the other side. Most of them seemed to be very angry and very mean spirits. And so Dr. Stevens and Asa Roth told Lorency that maybe she could communicate with a nice spirit. It might help her, you know, instead of being so angry and violent because of these evil people that were inhabiting her, maybe she could find a spirit that was nicer. It's not like she could peck. Actually, they asked her about that, and she said there were quite a few spirits. She could see a lot of spirits around her that were all waiting their turn to talk. She said there were a great many of them around her. And she said that there was one woman who looked like an angel that wanted to come forward. And so they suggested that she should allow this nicer spirit to come forward and possess her instead. When she did, a calm demeanor came over Lorency, and they asked her her name. And she said her name was Mary Roth. Oh. Now, Lorency was one year old 
when Mary Roth passed away. Their families didn't know each other, and they lived in different parts of town. There was no way that Laurency could have known anything about Asa Roth or his daughter Mary prior to those days of coming over. So on February 1st, 1878, Mary Roth took possession of Laurency's body and stayed in possession of her body for about 16 weeks. Oh, wow. When she sat up and said that her name was Mary Roth, she immediately recognized Asa and called him Pa. She did not recognize Laurency Venom's parents. She didn't know who they were. That doesn't necessarily mean much. Laurency, prior to being taken over by Mary, Laurency had been extremely violent. Uh, she had been angry and constantly changing names and personalities. She immediately became calm and sweet and polite and did say her name was Mary and that she wanted to go home with Asa. Word of this spread immediately that this girl was saying she was Mary Roth and recognized Asa. And some people came over, a woman named Minerva Alter. Mary Roth had a sister when she passed away that was named Minerva. So she heard that this girl was claiming to be her long dead sister, Mary. So she came over with her mother, Anne, to see Mary. And as soon as they walked in the door, Mary said, there's my ma and my sister, Nervy. Now, Nervy was Mary's pet name for Minerva, and no one had called her that since Mary had died a little over 13 years before. So after that, Mary kept begging to go home. And they finally said, okay, the Venoms were like, fine, you don't seem to know who we are. Why don't you go to Ace's house and let's see where this goes. So she hugged her mother and father and her sister and called them Ma and Pa. And she said, the angels said I can stay until sometime in May. They took her home and she recognized friends and family. She recognized Mary's old things. They had put one of Mary's, um, I guess, a a hat with like a long veil on it. And she said, oh, that's my old hat. I used to wear that when my hair was short. Oh, wow. That's kind of creepy. Yeah, she knew all these things. She recognized all this stuff that had been hers when she was Mary Roth. One woman came over to visit, you know, to, to check out this astounding thing that had happened. And Mary called her by name. She said, oh, Mrs. Lord, you look just the same as you did when I was here before. And the woman said, oh, honey, my husband died. I was Mrs. Lord, but my name is Mrs. Wagoner now. I've remarried. Her husband had been alive when Mary Roth had passed away. He hadn't passed away and, and she hadn't remarried until years after Mary Roth had died. So Mary knew her as Mrs. Lord, even though she had been Mrs. Wagoner for many, many years. And that's how Laurency would have known her, if she had ever known her. So they tested Mary by asking her questions about her life. And she would tell them stories of things that had happened when she had been Mary Roth. And they were all corroborated by the family. She even remembered people's names. Like she remembered the Reader family and the girls that they would play with. She remembered going to Texas in 1857 and seeing the Native Americans there. There were some weird things that happened as well. I mean, weirder than her recognizing stuff and people. She didn't eat for the first month after being Mary Roth. They would try to get her to eat a whole month. She reportedly did not eat at all for a whole month. And when asked about it, she would say that she was being sustained by the angels, that she didn't need to eat, that her nourishment was coming from heaven, and that she wouldn't need anything on the physical plane. 
Okay, I don't want to say that's weird or anything because that is weird and I'm not going to say that, but it is. But scientifically, bitch, you can't go that long without food. You'll die. You'll die. I don't know. I haven't been one of those like, I can't go 10 minutes without food. You know, we were talking about the pizza. I've already transitioned to M&M's. <laughs> that's right. That's my snacking gal. <laughs> she had like heavenly nourishment apparently for 30 days and then gradually started eating with the family, almost as if like that energy, whatever energy had sent her into Laurency's body. Yeah. But then it faded and she slowly started eating with us common folk. Exactly. Exactly. So there are letters and things that were written at this time from Dr. Stevens and from Asa Roth and from other people corroborating what had happened and talking about that some people in the town were concerned that she was the devil or that some type of demon was there. But Mary, quote unquote, Laurency as Mary seemed perfectly happy and healthy, was a very calm and, and polite young woman. And she recognized seemingly everything, including a box of letters and notes and trinkets that Mary Roth had put together when she was alive. Did she ever use a Ouija board? I'm just wondering because they were kind of popular back then, the spirit boards. Not that I'm aware of. No spirit board was ever done here. But she did still during this time as Mary Roth occasionally go into a mild trance and say that she was speaking to spirits. One time during one of these trances, she started speaking in a very deep male voice and said that she was a man who had lived in Tennessee and had died there years before. He said that Mary was going to stay in control of Laurency's body until Laurency was healthy again. Oh, like the spirit was going to heal her himself or itself? That maybe Mary was kind of taking control of Laurency's mind and body while Laurency's spirit was somewhere else healing itself, maybe of the, the psychological problems that she had been having. I'm not sure. Hmm. But she didn't have any further epileptic fits, just occasional trances. And at one time, as it got closer to May, I believe it was the end of March, uh, there was a time when she was being extremely affectionate to her mother and father, like overly affectionate, hugging them and kissing them, wanting to sit on their laps to the point where their parents were like, this is enough. You know, we, we've had enough affection today. What's going on? They said she looked very, very sad and she looked at them with tears in her eyes and she's like, I want to hug you and kiss you while I have physical lips to do so because pretty soon I'm going to go to heaven and then I won't be here to hug you like I can now. And so I want to do it as much as I can because soon when I come visit you, you won't be able to see me anymore. That's so weird. Yeah. So she kept trying to tell them all how much she loved them. Then on May 7th, Anne Roth went to Laurency Venom's mother and said that Laurency was coming back and that the personality had started to change in the child and, and that Laurency was coming back. Later that day, so on May 7th, Anne Roth went to Laurency's mother with Laurency and said that Laurency was coming back. And in that moment, a, a change came over the child and she started crying and she asked where she was and said that she wanted to go home. And she recognized Mrs. Venom and knew her as her mother. She didn't recognize Anne Roth and she said oh. she she said she wanted to go home. So for about five minutes, she was saying she wanted to go home with Mrs. Venom. And then a change came over her again and she was back to being Mary Roth. She stayed that way for another couple of weeks until May 21st, 1878. Now there's a letter from Asa Roth that he sent to Dr. Stevens and it says, quote, 
Mary is to leave the body of Rancy, which is what they called Laurency, of Laurency today at about 11 o'clock. So she says, she is bidding neighbors and friends goodbye. And she tells me to write you as follows. Tell him I am going to heaven and Rancy is coming home well. She says she will see your dear children in spirit life. And she talked most lovingly about the separation about to take place. And most beautiful was her talk about heaven and her home. And so on May 21st at 11 o'clock in the morning, Laurency came back to, came back into her body, looked at Asa Roth and didn't recognize him and asked to be taken back home. And just switched like that? Just like that. And she lived a normal life from that point on. She went home and they said she was completely well. Now, how old was she? How old at that point? 13, 13 or 14. And she never tranced back or, or well that's not exactly true she never had any epileptic fits she never had any more cataleptic fits she never had any anger outbursts or any of that that she had been having quite a bit before she was a perfectly quote-unquote normal person a few years after she returned home she married a gentleman named george binning in 1882 and a couple years later the family moved to kansas her husband says that she would occasionally slip into being Mary Roth. Mary Roth's spirit would come into Laurency and, and he didn't like it when that would happen. And he asked her oh, not so to- she kind of was kind of like phased in and out, like, a, like almost like she had like split personality. Right, but not often, just occasionally. Most notably, it happened when she had her first baby. When Laurency and uh, George Binning had their first baby, Mary Roth came as soon as the labor pain started. And Mary Roth was the one that was there when she had the baby. And as soon as the baby was born, Laurency came back. Was that more of a disassociation of pain? It very well could have been. Uh, Laurency liked to say that Mary would come and help her when she needed it. Mary would occasionally, like with the childbirth, take over Laurency's body. But George didn't like it and asked her to stop. And so she did. Eventually it stopped and Laurency lived a perfectly normal life and had 11 children with George Binning. Holy shit. 11 kids? (laughs) 11 kids. Stop yourself. So all these details, including the letters and reports from the Venom family and from friends and neighbors who had seen Laurency slash Mary Roth recognize people and objects, Uh, All of this was documented in a book called The Watsika Wonder. And uh, there are quite a few reports. I guess there was a well-known psychic researcher that looked into it. A couple of them have looked into it and reported that it was um, credible. So that is the first known spirit possession in the United States. Wow. Creepy, right? That definitely predates The Exorcist. (laughs) So the houses do still stand, the Venom house and the Roth house. And there's a a gentleman, I don't know if he still owns it, but a gentleman named John Whitman did own the Roth house and he fixed it all up and you can go stay there and they do ghost hunting tours and things like that in the Roth house. So just to kind of clarify, there was never any sort of like 
exorcism or anything that happened it just faded away and stopped and it just faded away and stopped yeah like that one one spirit came she announced in the beginning uh, the spirit came and announced that mary would only be there for a short period of time and then that other spirit that man the tennessee man came and said that laurency was just being taken care of and and being made health and mary was only going to take the body until laurency was healthy and and then she just she just faded away. Yeah, but are you really going to like really sit there and go, okay, so I just was told that the ghost is only going to haunt you for like three and a half weeks and then you'll be fine. So right. we're just going to sit here and deal with it for three and a half weeks and then you'll be good. Like that was okay. I guess Apparently. so. <laughs> I guess so. So some people have done ghost hunting tours and things in the house, including you mentioned a Ouija board earlier. Yes. According to the owner of the home, some people did rent it and took a Ouija board down in the basement complete with they made a protective circle downstairs, put candles in each of the quarters and the Ouija board in the center. And I guess they still ended up leaving in the middle of the night. And one of them had a pretty bad scratch straight down his back. Oh, shit. So I'm not exactly sure who they popped into because all these spirits didn't really seem to be in the house itself. They seemed to be with Mary and with Laurency themselves. Like, they seem to be mediums. I don't necessarily know if it was the house, but apparently there's still some ghostly activity there. Wow. I kind of have, like, a a burning question here. Oh, do ask. Do ask. How come no one has gone there and tried to summon these spirits and ask why? Ask what's up? I can't say that they haven't. I just, you know, I'm sure somebody has. It looks like they haven't found documentation of it. Right. If they've done it, they haven't talked about it on YouTube yet. (laughs) Because this it sounds like totally a fuck around and find out moment. Right. I mean, thankfully for these people, at least it, it sounds like Asa, you know, after after Mary died, it sounds like he really felt bad for what he had put her through. You know, he felt terrible for the, you know, the putting her in the water treatment and the asylum. And he should have felt bad. You know, and it seems like Laurency was kind of just allowed to to just, you know, just be just kind of get her freak on, I guess. I mean, how often would you she just like, oh, yeah, I'm Mary Roth. And they're like, "Okay, come home with us. And then she went and lived with them for months as their daughter. And nobody seemed to think it was weird at all. But that gave Laurency time to heal, which their daughter didn't get. But you hear, especially during the spiritual movement, scams. True. Do you think at any point this was a scam? Well, in a scam, you have to have some type of payoff, right? A home and a family to take you in and take care of you. But she already had a home and family, a very loving home and family. I mean, they were going to put her in an asylum only because that's what doctors said was best for her. You know, they wanted to help her. But still, they're still ready to sign her ass over. and Maybe. Maybe. I'm just wondering... Well, if there's was, also if it was a scam to avoid institutionalization, maybe. But it, it sounds like with Asa and uh, Dr. Stevens intervention, even if she hadn't become Mary Roth, it sounds like they had already convinced the Venoms not to institutionalize her and instead let Dr. Stevens talk to her and, and use hypnosis and try to treat her. Well, as someone who has studied and been certified in hypnotherapy, I was a little skeptical once I heard that Dr. Stevens had hypnotized 
Laurency Venom at one point prior to her thinking that she was Mary Roth. Under a hypnotic state, people can be very, very suggestible. But where did she get all this information? How did she know the nicknames that she had no way of knowing? She was predicting a lot of stuff that you wouldn't have known. And you, she could have been fed all that. No way. Right. Yeah. Unless like every single person that she met up with also lied to keep the story going. It, it's just she knew too much. Even, that's not even possible. I mean, it's possible, obviously, but it's not possible. Right. Yeah. So kind of interesting. Intriguing. Yeah. There's my spooky story out of Illinois, of all places, Watsika. Interesting. I, uh, I'm going to take us up to the Green Mountain Inn in Stowe, Vermont, which I would imagine Stowe, Vermont's probably bitching cold right now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Hopefully they at least have snow. Don't they ski a lot or snowboard and ski in Stowe? They do. They do. That's uh, too cold for me. Same. There's this cute little quaint inn, the Green Mountain Inn. Now, I kind of find it funny because this is supposed to be the most haunted inn in vermont (laughs) oh the most haunted really the most haunted you don't say i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) so the green mountain inn is um roughly about 170 187 year old inn um it has been visited by u.s presidents they traded it for a farm. It was home to a railroad company's offices. It was the site of a grand dance hall. It's had a, a lot of lives, apparently. It did. It was also the regular um, home for the Lowell Thomas broadcasts. Um, so it's been a lot of things. The main inn and the old depot buildings are really kind of the main original buildings because as you can imagine since the original property was built in like 1833 there's been additions um but the the main part of the inn in the old depot building um are part of the original 1833 structures so this (laughs) this property talk about giving away stuff so this guy peter lovejoy originally is the guy who built this property he traded it to another guy for like a 350-acre farm. He's like, hey, I like your farm. Do you want my house? <laughs> and he's like, hey, I like your house. Do you want my farm? Pretty much. But it had, I want to say, when I was looking, I believe it had 120 rooms in the end. Probably its heyday would have been right around the turn of the century. And it had, right around that time, about a 120 folks could stay there but it is what you would think of as like this old northern new england snowy wooded inn type of thing okay that sounds like it would probably be very pretty actually i've seen pictures of it like in the winter and this with snow all around it and it actually is pretty (laughs) really 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 pretty but so in the early 1800s you know as you can imagine that time of that location it's very snowy and stuff so at the inn, they had a chambermaid and a horseman who, in around 1840, were doing some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the plot line to some sort of really sexy historical romance novel. They were doing some stuff, and a boy named Boots Berry was born out of that stuff. <laughs> Boots Berry. That Boots sounds like a Stowe, Vermont kind of name. 
Were yeah. they even hippies back then in Stowe, Vermont? I don't know if they were hippies in 1840. They're pretty crunchy with the name like Boots. <laughs> but you never know back then. Like, was that the name on his birth certificate? Or is that just what people called him? Who knows? I don't know. So... He's the son of, uh, like I said, the son of the inn's chambermaid and a horseman. Now, Boots was born in room 302, which was on the third floor in the servants' quarters. Okay. So that was the servants' quarters at that time. Right. So he actually grew up in the Green Mountain Inn with his mother. Okay. Um, Basically, he was born and raised in the inn. He became a horseman himself, just like his father. So... He was kind of a, a a storied character. A couple of times he rose to fame locally, as famous as you can be in the mid to late 1800s. He saved stagecoach passengers uh, when the horses bolted down the street and were kind of out of control. He was even awarded a medal over it. He was um, lauded through the county and basically he never had to buy drinks again. <laughs> right. He's a local hero. Everyone's like, hey, Boots, so, I'll buy you a drink. Good job. Yeah, and, and that's basically what it was. You know, he gets a medal. Well, he didn't give a shit about the medal. But what came with that was like unlimited free drinks for life. Yeah. Folk so, hero status at the local bar. Drinks, of course, proved to be his downfall. Oh, um, no. Damn it, Boots. He was fired from the inn for neglecting his duties. Well, Boots. you get to get drunk every day. All you got to do is take care of the horses, man, and drink. That's it. That's all you had to do. Wanders across the country, ends up in a New Orleans jail. Oh, Go shit. Figure. How the hell did he end up in a New Orleans jail? I don't know, but it couldn't have been a fun place. No. <laughs> One too many visits to the House of the Rising Sun. I guess it was a fun time because while he was in that New Orleans jail, another prisoner taught him how to tap dance wait what <laughs> did you just say he was taught how to tap dance while in a new orleans prison by a fellow prisoner <laughs> okay all right that sounds very new orleans to me that right that, that tracks okay okay so he eventually gets out of jail and decides to go back to stowe vermont quite the change from new orleans i know let me go back but now he knows how to tap dance so there's that there is that that proves to be important here in a minute. <laughs> With a name like Boots, you'd think he would have been born knowing how. I know. <laughs> so now fast forward, it's 1902. So he's back in Stowe. And of course it's snowing because what the fuck else happens in Stowe, Vermont? Pretty sure it snows year round in Stowe, Vermont. <laughs> and there's this little girl stranded on the inn's roof. How the fuck did she get on the inn's roof? Hold on. I have questions. Where are her and parents? I'm, that's the thing. What do you just like, send the girl up there? That and, and the thing is, is I didn't find the answers to that. <laughs> but I guess because, okay, so Boots lived there. So he remembered that there was a secret childhood route to the rooftop. Okay. Well, if anyone would know, it'd be Boots. She was probably just dicking around, I hope. Probably looking for a place to go sledding. Yeah, right. So he takes this secret route, gets up to the roof, reaches the girl, and lo and behold, lowers her to safety. Yay, Boots, hero yet again. Hero yet again. But slips and falls to his death. No. Oh, Boots. Boots, damn it. 
when he slips and falls to his death, he falls right above room 302. Which, <gasps> the, the room way, where that, he was born. That was the room where he was born. Oh, tragic so, end for Boots, the tap dancing. Guess who tap dances across the roof every night? <gasps> really? <laughs> well, that's kind of rude. Especially during snowstorms. Okay, well, you know. Wow. Wow. So he saved the little girl and fell to his death. Right. And now wow. he entertains guests by tap dancing across the roof during snowstorms. So there's this paranormal investigating group that goes there. Because again, let's go back to most famous haunted inn in Vermont. The most famous in Vermont. You know those, um, oh shit, now I can't think of what they're called. The heat sensing cameras. Yeah, heat sensing cameras. Oh, I thought they had a name. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they do. Thermal imaging. Thermal imaging cameras. They're there with their thermal imaging cameras. And they have um, their EVP stuff and all their jazz for ghost hunting. And they start hearing the tap dancing on the roof. I guess it's pretty distinctive. There isn't a soul that's been there that hasn't heard it. Can't be disputed. It's there. Get over it. They take their thermal camera and point it up. And you can almost see almost what looks like the outline of freaking footprints. No, you're shitting me. Like you can and see the warmth from his feet as he dances across the roof in the thermal imaging camera. But oh they also had a guy outside. They also had a guy outside out of, like facing where you could see the roof of the M. At and the same can, time they're doing the camera. You can see the people in the window doing it. And you can see that there's nothing on the roof above them. No fucking way. That's but awesome. when you look at the but when you look at the footage, it's almost like you can see these little faint outlines that look like feet. No shit. So it's like you can see his freaking feet glowing up on there. Wow. Damn. So it could be the most haunted in in Vermont, potentially, maybe. Basically, the most you hear him is in that room. Sometimes you can hear him like screaming as he falls past <gasps> the window. Oh, I'd rather hear the tap dancing. Thank you. And other times they just see him wandering the grounds because remember, he was born and raised there. Wow. So, yeah, so of that, course he'd stay there even after death. Not only does it have the land imprint, but he died there, spent his whole life there. All he ever knew was that that's where his mother was. That's where his mother was buried. Like if he isn't imprinted in there, nothing else would be. You know, he was probably up there saving this girl being like, all right, I'm back in the town's good graces. I'm going to get all these drinks again. I'm going to be living the high life. And then he saves the girl and, and slips and falls to his doom. That sucks. Yep. He did but save the girl, though, right? He found tap dancing. He's decided he did save the girl. But after his newfound learning of tap dancing in his New Orleans prison, he is now going to spend eternity tap dancing his way across the roof. Hey, you know, when you can do something well, you might as well. Damn. But, that sucks for him, though. But I think the I think the killer to this story is the thermal imaging of the footprints. That's wild. I can't believe that they could see him tap dancing across the roof. How fun. I want to see that. Like, I want to yeah. see that shit. I want to do a Ouija board in that room. Well, isn't it just weird that he was born in that room and plunged to his death right outside of it? It is. It's almost like... You know, it's a very full circle kind of thing. It's interesting. He was conceived. Caught in the loop. Yeah, he was conceived, born, and now he's dead there. So he, that poor guy had no chance. He was going to be stuck there. Right, right. So this guy's in it for the long haul. He is there until the end of time and all of eternity. 
So I think we should go up there sometime. I want a thermal cam- camera. I want to see his footprints. I do too. That would be pretty interesting. Wow. So that's my story from chilly, snowy Stowe, Vermont. Yeah. Green so in. I guess they have a uh, pretty, pretty loud ghost there, huh? Well, if they're going to call it the most haunted inn in Vermont, at least I got the thermal imaging to back it up. You know, there's at least that. It doesn't have a very high bar for the most haunted. I guess not, but, you know, state to state, what can you say? Right. You know, remember, Vermont is where I did that story. I don't remember what episode it was, but I did that story on Emily's Bridge. The haunted bridges. Um, That was also in Vermont. That's true. There are some spooktacular places in Vermont, but like I said, I was kind of captivated by the thermal imaging. I think that's pretty fascinating. You know, I really love all these different tools that ghost hunters use. I know we've talked about it in a couple of different episodes and I'm trying to gather together some tools of my own so that when we go do ghost hunting, we for sure need to have a thermal imaging camera of some sort. Because, you know, I'm actually wondering if there's an app you can download. I feel like there's an app for everything. I wonder if there's a thermal imaging app. I'll well, to... I know that they have some spirit box apps and things like that, but right. I just don't know if it feels authentic to me. It just feels, those feel gimmicky to me. So if anyone out there has used an app for ghost hunting and had success with it, please let me know because a lot of this stuff is a little expensive, but I really want to try a few. I'd like to have at least a few things. If, you know, when we get to do our little hippie van ghosty tour of the United States show, we need to have a few of these tools in our tool belt. So let us know about your tools, listeners. Email us, thestonewitches at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Now, I know, Shell, you have had a spooky experience that you've talked about on this podcast before with a thermal imaging camera that caught a ghost. Have there been any other tools that you have used in the past that have really freaked you out? Um, I actually borrowed one time um, one of those EVP things. You don't realize that this this electromagnetic energy is there until you got this thing screaming in your hand. It kind of put a little bit of the reality into it. Yeah. Two of the ones that I really like myself is I love dowsing rods. Both for I have used dowsing rods in the past to find uh, buried electrical lines, buried sewer lines, and also water. But they're also really good to use to find spirit energy in different places. And so walking around with different types of dowsing rods, it's one of the freakiest feelings when those dowsing rods move and they just move on their own. It's very, very strange feeling. And the other one I like is super simple. And I think I've mentioned it before is the flashlights like you take those shitty flashlights that you put the two big d batteries in and and you and you unscrew it till it's just barely on and then you just set it on something and walk away and then you ask your questions in yes and no format you know like if anyone is here turn off the light or you know if you have something to say yeah and then they turn off and on i love those those like i can't wait to try that myself you know i've also done silly things like you know i've taped a pencil taped it to a table stuck the point in like a piece of paper that was round and would see if i could get like a quote-unquote ghost to spin my paper yes little things to try to gain contact um i've just had something as simple as a 
what do you call those things? Wind chime, make the wind chime chime. You know, if you're inside, there isn't any wind. So if it's chiming, something's making it chime, things like that. But that little EVP box, that was probably the most eye-opening because I was like, holy shit, holy shit, it's picking up something. I think those are fun. But I would love a thermal camera. I would love a thermal camera. I would walk around the streets of Salem with that damn thermal camera. <laughs> Now that would be a place to go walking around with some ghost hunting equipment, right? I think every single street corner in that area. (laughs) You're just surrounded by ghosts everywhere out there. (laughs) We will definitely have to look into finding a ghost hunter and see if we can get someone on air so that we can interview them for the podcast. But uh, for any of you ghost hunters out there, we want to talk to you. So drop us a line, email us, hit us up on the old Insta. As usual, thank you all so much for joining us on the Stoned Witches Hour. We love you guys. We love all your comments. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Shoot us an email. Send us a DM on Instagram. Let's be real. Give us a love and a five star. We're being real here. Five stars. Give us the love. (laughs) Maybe you will get lucky like our friend Darlene who got to come on and hang out and smoke with us and tell us some ghosty stories. And we got to have a nice little sesh with her and her friend. So, yeah, shoot us a line. Maybe you also will get lucky and get a tarot reading on the Stoned Witches Hour. The next one could be you. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for episode 51. We will see you next week on Wednesday at 4.20 a.m. for episode 52 of the Stoned Witches Hour. See ya. Stay high, stay happy.